Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning, I'm Lily Jamali. PG&E says its infrastructure may have contributed to the start of the Dixie Fire that's burned thousands of acres and prompted evacuations near the site of the deadliest fire in California history. The company says on the day the fire was ignited, it noticed an outage near the Crested Dam in the Feather River Canyon. That's near where the 2018 campfire burned. In a preliminary report filed with the state, PG&E says a worker known as a troubleman said he saw from a distance what he thought was a blown fuse on a distribution circuit. The company says the worker wasn't able to get to the pole with the fuse until about 10 hours later. PG&E saying that's because of rough terrain in the area and the closure of a bridge. The company also reports that when the worker did reach the location, he noticed two fuses had been blown and that a tree was leaning on a power line and a fire was burning near the tree. He reported the fire and CAL FIRE brought in resources to battle it. The utility says CAL FIRE investigators collected some of the PG&E equipment found at the scene yesterday. KQED's Dan Brecky has been monitoring all of this. He joins me now. Good morning to you, Dan. Good morning, Lily. So, Dan, it's striking to see, it looks like PG&E is basically saying its equipment may have started yet another major fire. What are they saying happened exactly? Well, that's right. And so they noticed some trouble on a, uh, uh, on a line that serves this Cresta Dam in the Feather River Canyon, as you mentioned. And when a worker got out there, this is a very rough area, and uh, it was the same general area where the campfire started in 2018. Uh, it, it took the worker a long time to get out there. Part of the problem was he couldn't drive to the spot. He had to drive to a bridge that was out of service and then hike the rest of the way in, maybe another mile and a half. And the scenarios are, are pretty limited about what could have happened. It, it was a live power line. And so if a tree contacted the power line, that may have caused the tree to ignite or uh, throw sparks into nearby vegetation that could have started. The other thing that's notable here is that fuses blew. So that could have caused hot metal from the uh, fuses, which were behaving properly, right? They, they blew, which they're supposed to do if there's a problem on the line. And there was a problem, we know, because of the tree leaning on, on the line. It could have dropped hot metal into the nearby vegetation. And that would have started a fire. Those are the scenarios that we're looking at. Mm -hmm. And we are seeing shares of PG&E, uh, which we should mention past fire survivors own 24% of. So this affects them and their ability to get compensated for their losses between 2015 and 2018. Those shares have fallen about 3% as we talk uh, this morning, Dan. 
We've been hearing from residents in Butte County over the weekend about just how concerned they are about the Dixie fire. You've been closely monitoring it all weekend. What's its current status? Well, yesterday was a pretty bad day on the fire. Uh, it grew from about 19,000 acres up to around 30,000 acres this morning. Uh, the big development yesterday was that the fire jumped the Feather River. It got onto the uh, east side of the canyon there and uh, started burning toward communities called Bucks Lake and Meadow Valley. Uh, west of Quincy, and so there were mandatory evacuations there. Cal Fire is saying at this point the fire is 15% contained, but what that tells you is they have a huge job ahead of them. That's right. And we are hearing from PG&E this morning in a statement uh, they are telling KQED that the information they submitted is preliminary and that the company submitted this incident report in an abundance of caution. Dan Brecky of KQED, thank you so much for your reporting. You're welcome. Well, there are several other large fires burning across Northern California this morning. The Tamarack Fire grew rapidly this weekend as it burned south of Lake Tahoe in Alpine County. The fire has burned more than 18,000 acres and there's still no containment. Federal fire officials say it was caused by lightning. The Tamarack Fire has prompted several evacuation orders around the town of Markleyville, and there are concerns about the possibility of dry lightning in the area this morning. The fire has also forced the closure of parts of the Pacific Crest Trail and the cancellation of an extreme bike ride through the Sierra Nevada. Crews are making better progress on the Beckworth Complex fire, burning about 50 miles north of Tahoe. It's the state's largest wildfire, burning more than 105,000 acres. It's 82% contained. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Los Angeles County has reinstated its indoor mask mandate for everyone, regardless of whether or not they've been vaccinated. That's after the county has seen more than a sevenfold increase in new COVID-19 cases since California's June 15th reopening. Dr. Bob Wachter is the chair of UC San Francisco's Department of Medicine, and he joins me now to talk about what this means for L.A. and for the rest of the state. Dr. Wachter, first off, what's been your reaction to this rise in case counts that we've seen that has triggered this renewed mandate? I'm sad. I'm disappointed like everyone else. I think all of us hoped that this summer would be the time we'd be able to put COVID behind us. I can't say I'm that surprised because in 
LA, there are still a fair number of people that are unvaccinated and the virus has gotten much better at its job of infecting people than the one we confronted last year. So the math is clear. We need more people to be vaccinated and immune in order to keep cases down. And the reason is Delta. Delta is just, Delta is twice as good at infecting people as the virus we were dealing with last year. And, uh, and humans have not changed. If you're not vaccinated, you're still susceptible. So I'm not shocked, but I am disappointed. And like every human being, we all wanted to be done with COVID, but it's not quite done with us. Right. And what do we know, doctor, about whether vaccines are effective against the Delta variant? Should vaccinated people be concerned? They should be a little concerned, but uh, only a tiny fraction as concerned as unvaccinated people. I mean, we know that if you are fully vaccinated, um, and uh, obviously for the Pfizer and Moderna, that means uh, both doses and you finished them a couple of weeks ago, that the chances of getting Delta are very low, but not zero. You're hearing about all these breakthrough cases, and we're hearing about more of them, not because the vaccine isn't working as well, but because there's much more virus around. So I, as a fully vaccinated person, have changed my behavior in the last few weeks. Uh, you know, there's not a mandate in San Francisco, but I am also masking inside, actually double masking inside pretty much everywhere. Oh, wow. Okay. That's really interesting to hear. Um, I do want to ask you about the indoor mask mandate that just went into effect this weekend in LA County. Do you anticipate this mask mandate being um, picked up in other parts of California? I think it's likelier than not. Uh, you know, the thing, the forces that are driving the mandate in Los Angeles are the uptick in cases and the uptick in hospitalizations. And I I think when we decided to open up more, whether it was the state of California or the CDC, it always came with a little nagging problem, which is it's going to be awfully hard to go backwards. Yeah. But, you know, I think California has demonstrated and the political leadership has demonstrated that it's willing to make some hard choices when it's appropriate. And I suspect that if the Bay Area goes up more, a mask mandate will be the next thing. And I think that's probably true at counties, uh, counties throughout the state. And there's no good reason if people are not changing their behavior and the Delta virus is more and more prevalent and we don't see a lot more vaccinations, there's no more, there's no good reason that all of us won't see uh, uh, surges the way they're seeing in Los Angeles. And finally, Dr. Wachter, where do you stand on the idea of a vaccine mandate? Is that in the cards? I, I think all of the political leaders and leaders of organizations and businesses, you know, didn't want to go there because it's a hot button. But as the cases go up and as we all see a sort of a return to uh, having to think about COVID again, I think you're starting to see more and more organizations realize they, we all hope we didn't have to do this. That people take it on their own because it's in their interest to do it. But the person who chooses not to be vaccinated is not only putting themselves at risk, they're putting others around them at risk. They're putting the community at risk. So you're going to start seeing more mandates. Many healthcare organizations now are mandating their workers. Uh, I think you're going to see more mandates in schools. The University of California, which has more than 500,000 students and employees, mm -hmm. is mandating vaccines. So I think you can see more and more of this in response to the uptick in cases. All right, Dr. Wachter, thank you as always for being a voice of reason and a source of information for us on this. Thanks so much for having me. The Tokyo Olympics get underway this week, and there are already major concerns about the coronavirus, as another positive test has been reported this morning at the Olympic Village, where most of the athletes are staying. 
The new case involves a member of the Czech men's beach volleyball team and comes after two South African men's soccer players also tested positive for COVID-19 yesterday. The athletes are in quarantine and close contacts are being tested daily. A member of the U.S. women's gymnastics team has also tested positive, but she and the team aren't currently staying in Tokyo. Critics have raised questions about holding the Olympics in the midst of the pandemic and a rise in cases globally due to the Delta variant, particularly with Japan's low rate of vaccination. Brian Burroughs is a member of the U.S. shooting team who grew up in San Diego County. He leaves for Japan today and admits that there was some hesitancy in deciding to compete. Now the concern is, you know, everybody you see or look at could be a potential hazard to your Olympic career or performance or, you know, will you get to compete, you know, how they're doing trace tracking and how, uh, you know, if you come in contact or if you contract it. And, you know, I think the fear isn't that we will be severely affected by Corona, but you get it or you're around somebody who has had it, then you're performance at the games is done. We'll hear more about Brian's path to the Olympics later this week on the California Report. As part of our series on California athletes taking part in the summer games, the Olympics were postponed by a year because of the pandemic. The International Olympic Committee has put strict rules in place to try to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. There will be no fans at Olympic venues in Tokyo where a state of emergency is in place. That includes during Friday's opening ceremonies. Athletes, coaches and other staff will be tested daily and have to follow masking and social distancing guidelines throughout the Games. California's top election official has released the list of candidates who filed to run for governor in the September recall election. KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer reports. Secretary of State Shirley Weber says a total of 41 people filed paperwork needed to run for governor by the Friday afternoon deadline. That's far fewer than the 135 who ran in 2003 when Governor Gray Davis was recalled and replaced by Arnold Schwarzenegger. No prominent Democrats are running, but among the top Republicans are former San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner, Assemblyman Kevin Kiley, businessman John Cox, former Congressman Doug Osi, and reality TV star Caitlyn Jenner. Political consultants to conservative talk show host Larry Elder said he filed the papers, but his name did not appear on the list. None of the candidates will become governor unless a majority of voters decide to recall Governor Gavin Newsom in September. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. And that is the California Report for this Monday, July 19th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And Blue Shield of California, closing the health care gap since 1939. Learn more about their commitment to quality and fair health care for every Californian at news.blueshieldca.com. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. 
the land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.